You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardenbaptist.org. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and 10 is where we're going to go today. Um, For our reading, we're going to be in chapter 10, so if you want to kind of open your Bibles there. But before we get into it, just want to remind us about Ecclesiastes because we're like two Sundays from finishing. And sometimes when you look at a book, you're like, man, there's a lot of good things, but what was that, what was that book about? Like, what was the point? <laughs> and so we're going to kind of summarize it. We've said this often, but just so that you're reminded, I think sort of that big picture of Ecclesiastes, Solomon wants us to know that everything is meaningless apart from Christ. That's kind of that big idea. That everything is meaningless apart from Christ, but in Christ, everything has meaning. So say that first part, everything is meaningless apart from Christ. You might be new, you might be a non-believer, and you're like, wait, hold on. You're telling me my life is meaningless? Like I've got a marriage, I've got a career, I've got all these good things happening. What do you mean everything is meaningless? Well, Solomon will say, the problem is you're going to die. And when you die, you're going to be forgotten, and your life is going to be over. So if all you have is this life, then it's meaningless because you die and that's it. But then he brings in the beauty of, hey, life, it is broken, but it's also beautiful. It's chaotic, but it's also purposeful. It is meaningless, but it's also full of meaning because, yes, everything is meaningless. It's vanity apart from Christ. But in Christ, everything has meaning. Why? Because in Christ, we don't just die. In Christ, we live forever. So our marriages, our families, our work, the things that we do, they are all filled with meaning because they're good gifts from God that we get to enjoy as his children. So all of life is meaningless apart from Christ. But in Christ, everything has meaning. So what we're going to do this morning, I'm just going to warn you, it's going to be Really different than normal style of preaching. I love narrative. I love a theme. Like last week was death, which is really fun. Like we're all going to die. So be happy. That was really fun. This week, it's going to be 17 rules for life. Just 17 of them. And so it's like, there's not going to be transitions. There's not going to be like a lot of story. It's just like, here's point one, point two, point three, and yes, point 17. Here's what you should do with your life. But what Solomon wants is for us to be wise. He wants us to walk in wisdom rather than foolishness. And so I want to talk just a moment about what is wisdom. When you think about wisdom in scripture, we have the wisdom literature. So think about wisdom. It's not just knowledge. Knowledge is knowing something. So if you have knowledge, you know something rightly. You know something um, you have knowledge of, you have facts about it. That's knowledge. Wisdom goes one step forward. Wisdom is taking knowledge, what you know, and rightly applying it to your life. That's wisdom. Wise people don't just know things. They know how to apply those things to their life. Those are wise people. They know how to live life. That's wisdom. But we also have fools. And fools can be uh, for two reasons. Number one, they don't have knowledge. Like you can be a fool because you just don't know anything. You know some of those people, right? Some of those people know you. But here's you, right? You can be a fool just because you don't know. But you can also be a fool and know a lot. Like you can be a smart fool. A smart fool knows things, but they don't rightly apply what they know to life. That's wisdom. Wisdom is rightly applying what you know 
to life. So what we want to do is we want to be wise, and that's we're going to say it's rightly applying the Word of God to everyday life. That's wisdom. If you want to be a wise person, rightly apply the Word of God to everyday life. So if you have your Bibles, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and we're going to read verse 2 kind of together as we stand in the reading of God's Word, and it really kind of sets the tone for everything he's going to say. So if you'd stand out of reverence for the word of God, Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 2 says this, A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us, that you would help our hearts, that we would have wise hearts that incline us to right things, to good things. That we would not have foolish hearts that incline us to foolish things and wrong things. So I pray as we look at these 17 rules for life that we would seek to have a wise heart that pursues right things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You, you guys may be seated. So again, just warning, it's going to be a little different in preaching Normally, there's like kind of one theme. We just kind of wrestle with that the whole way through. There's like 17 bullet points, okay? So we're going to preach it a little different, and I want you to hear a little bit different. So the expectation is not that you walk out of here knowing 17 rules of life perfectly, and you go live those out. Hopefully, but that's kind of a high bar. My hope is that as you listen to these 17 things, a few of them will strike you as, oh, I'm not doing that, and I should do that, or I'm doing that, and I shouldn't do that. And so what we want to do is try to pursue wisdom, so my hope is that you will grab hold of three of these rules of life, and you will work them into life this week. So there's 17, so you've got quite a few. Just try to grab three, right? That's setting the bar pretty low. Just try to grab three and walk out this door and say, you know, I'm going to change this because... I want, to, I want to be a wise person. I want to rightly apply the word of God to my life for the glory of Christ. So let's just get the engine going. Number one, we see this. Wisdom wins, but it's often forgotten. Wisdom wins, but it's often forgotten. Uh, chapter 9, verse 13 says this. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered the poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. So, so he tells this little story about there's, there, there was like a little city, you can imagine like, like little village, like not a lot of people, it's not strong. And all of a sudden there was a great king who wanted to overtake the city. So the great king comes with all of his might and he's got weapons of war and he comes and he sent up all these siege works. Like this is, the city has no chance because there is might here. There are weapons here. The city is going to fall. But all of a sudden you have this reversal of what should happen doesn't happen. That the city withstands this great, mighty king, and the reason is because there's one poor, wise man in that city who somehow, through wisdom, delivers everyone. Now, me and I read that story, I'm like, 
this is the last Jedi. Like, like this is where they got the last Jedi scene. And so I immediately went to Star Wars. I do that a lot, but I haven't used Star Wars in a long time. So I think we're overdue for Star Wars illustration. But this is like, this is the scene, right? You have the First Order coming, the rebels, they're in a cave, they're hiding. There's no, like, there's no way out. At least they don't think so yet. They're going to find the foxes, but that's, that's a little bit down. They're, they're in a cave. They can't go out. There's a big door. First Order comes. They've got all this might. You have Kylo Ren, all the power in the game. He's, he's going to defeat them. There's no way out. And then all of a sudden you have one guy. Luke Skywalker walks out in the snow. And he's like... Let's go. And they're like, uh, th- this is going to be easy. So he's like, fire on him. So all these blasters just fight. Like, he's done. There's no way. There's no way this can win. There's no way. This is game over for Luke. This is game over for the rebels. All this fire. And then it stops. And Luke's just standing there. And he's like, what you got next? And of course, like, they're all panicked. More firepower. And what they, what they don't realize is Luke's not really there. It's like a hologram of Luke. And he's outsmarting Kylo and all the enemies, and as they are distracted, what happens? Well, the rebels get to escape. And it's kind of that, that scene in real life. There's a little city that's not going to make it, but through wisdom, through smarts, they, well, they outsmart the enemy and they deliver the city. So the conclusion is, wisdom beats might. It's better to be wise than strong. It's better to be wise than to have all the resources. What is most precious and what's most prized is wisdom. So you need to seek his wisdom, not just might. But then he says, but the problem is it's often forgotten. So wisdom wins, but it's often forgotten. So this guy who delivers the city, like people soon forget about him. Nobody remembers him. History doesn't know his name. And so that's That's kind of the truth. Like, wise people, though they deliver, they're often forgotten. Like, can you imagine if the story of, like, uh, Troy, can you imagine if, like, there was a guy in the city of Troy that when the horse came in, there was one guy that it's like, hey, isn't it kind of weird they're giving us a horse? This seems strange. Why would they give us a present? Like, they're the Greeks. They're enemies. Why would they give us a horse? Imagine if one guy said, this seems odd. Do you think we should check the horse? What would have happened? Open the horse, killed all the people in there, threw the horse out, burned it. Troy would have been saved. But you know what would have happened? We would not have a story called the Trojan horse. Because nobody would remember that. Nobody would have retold that. It's like, oh, good job, guy. We would have all saw that coming. No, you didn't. Nobody saw it coming. We still have the story because there was no wise person there to save the day. The problem is when wisdom comes, it's often forgotten. If there's a guy that would point out the horse, he would long be forgotten now. And so what we know is that wisdom wins, but it's often forgotten, which means that for you in situations, for you to seek after wisdom and to do things that are wise, you have to do it not for vainglory, not for your reputation, not for your legacy to live on, you do it because you love people and you're serving people. And guess what? When you make a wise decision, it's going to win the day, but it's going to be forgotten tomorrow. That's how wisdom works. So why be wise? Because it's helping people and it's used for the glory of God. So do the right thing. Do the wise thing because it's going to help people even though it might not build your reputation or it might not make your name great. Be wise because wisdom wins the day. Number two, listen past the noise. So again, these are like 17 
pretty much random thoughts, okay? So if you're like, what's the order here? I don't know. Solomon, do you have an order? Because it would be helpful. But here's just another thought for a rule for life. 17 independent things. Listen past the noise. Verse 17 says this. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. So notice what he says. The words of wisdom are in quiet. Foolish words are yelled. They're loud. They're noisy. But better is that quiet noise of wisdom. So what this means for us is we've got to listen past the noise. And you know what I'm reminded of? Like there are so many loud noises all around you. There are so many loud noises telling you what's true, what's good, what's right, what you should pursue. It's very loud and noisy. Think about like cable news. If you just turn it on, it's noisy, it's loud, people are yelling. Think about social media, it's loud, it's noisy, things are happening, things are coming. Our culture, like you can't even go to the airport and like sit down without a TV yelling something at you, right? Like it's always noisy. When you pump your gas, there's like a screen yelling at you, hey, do this, buy this, say this. The world is noisy. You know what's really quiet? Your Bible. Your Bible is really quiet. Your Bible's not yelling at you. Your Bible's not just following you around everywhere you go and all the screens you look at. Your Bible is that quiet thing that you have to actually open and look at and listen to. It doesn't just naturally yell at you. You have to turn down the noise of everything else, all the other knowledge that's coming at you. You have to turn that down, and then you have to turn up the voice of Scripture and open it, put your nose in it, and read it, because that's how you hear the quiet wisdom. See, foolishness is loud. It's yelling. It's easy to find. But wisdom, you have to seek after it. It doesn't just happen. So I would ask you, look back at this week. How many of you just listened to the noise all around you and didn't one time turn it down and turn up the voice of God by actually looking at your Bible and reading what God says? If if you didn't do that at all this week, if you didn't put your nose in Scripture this week, you did not walk in wisdom this week. You didn't. You walked in foolishness this week if you didn't open your Bible and look at it and read it and say, okay, Jesus, how do I live this? But you're like, man, man, I forgot. I know you did because it's quiet. It's turned down. It's not coming at you. You've got to come at it. That's why wisdom is hard. Wisdom you got to seek after like a, like a diamond, like precious jewels. you got to dig for it and seek after it. So if we're going to be wise, we've got to turn down the noise and we got to turn up that voice of God. So this week, let's turn down the noise of everything else a little bit. And let's turn up the voice of God so that we walk in wisdom. We have to listen past the noise. Number three, we're going to see the power of one. Verse 18, wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So we first saw that wisdom is better than might through the city illustration. Now, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Like if you have to choose like a bunch of weapons or wise people, choose wise people because they can, well, they're wise and they can, can win the day. So we want wisdom over weapons of war. But then it says one sinner can destroy everything. And what we see is the power of one. I mean, think about the contrast. In the city, there's one poor wise guy who saves the day. Just one saves the day. Now we have just one sinner destroys everything. So one person can make 
or break. Like the power of one. One can make a difference. So I think for, for me, when I'm looking at that, I want to be the wise one that makes the good difference, not the one sinner who's walking in foolishness that brings everybody down. Like you have great power as one individual to make things good or to make things bad. So let's be the wise people that save the day rather than the one that ruins everything. Number four says this, a little folly is too much. A little folly is, if you're like, well, how how foolish can I be? None. Don't be foolish because a little, it's too much. Notice what um, the writer says, chapter 10, verse 1, dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So you have this, this bottle of perfume and it's meant to smell good. There's been a lot of effort put into this. Of course, in ancient world, this is like very delicate, a lot of money, very expensive. When you smell it, it smells good. Unless you have a little fly that's buzzing around and lands in it, and then you put the lid on it, and then the fly dies, and now you open it up, and you're like, oh, what is that? Well, there's a dead fly in it that is now messing the whole thing up. And so he's saying, there's an ointment, like a lot of liquid, one little bitty fly messes the whole jar up, the whole smell up. And he says, just a little bit of folly can outweigh wisdom and honor. See, I think what we want is wisdom and honor, but what we have to be careful is, is that little bit of folly that we're playing with. See, I think folly here is not just like you not knowing something. It's folly, in other words, you're living against the Lord, Like you're being a fool like Proverbs. You are disobeying the Lord. You are in rebellion. And for some of us, it's this little small area of our life. Like most of our life is good. Most of our life's under the lordship of Christ. But there's this one area that's secret, that's hidden, that kind of nobody knows about. And it's just ours. And we love it so much. And Solomon says, "Um, that area, it's a dead fly. That area of foolishness and rebellion, it's a dead fly. And guess what? You think it's not affecting your life, it's affecting every part of your life. Like that little, hidden, tiny thing of foolishness, it is wrecking your honor. It is wrecking your wisdom. And guess what? It smells. Like people around you, either they are noticing or they will notice because you can't hide foolishness. You can't hide rebellion. It is going to work its way out. So what do we do? We get rid of the flies. Like if a fly gets in the perfume, what should you do? Take it out, not leave it in. If you have foolishness and rebellion in your life, no matter how small it is, you're like, well, nobody's going to notice that. They will because it's going to cause your whole life to be flavored with that rather than Jesus. So deal with the little. A little is too much. A little rebellion, a little foolishness, a little sin, it's too much. What you need is a life to live for the glory of Christ. So church, deal with the flies. Don't just leave me in there and think, well, it's just a little thing. No, it's a big thing because a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Number five, your heart influences your life. Your heart influences your life. Notice what he says. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Now, to the ancient mind, those people who would have heard Solomon have the right and the left. The right would be considered um, lucky or prosperous. Uh, The left would be sort of a sneaky sleight of hand. When you think about the Latin word sinister, it actually actually means left-handed. 
So that idea sort of in the, okay, the right, okay, that, that's the place of prominence. The left, think about Jesus sorting the sheep and the goats to the right and the left. So what we see that the right is the right way, the left is the wrong way in this illustration. So what causes you to go right or left? What causes you to do right or wrong? It's your heart. Notice, a wise man's heart inclines him. So here's what we see. Our hearts lead us. Your heart leads you. So what we want to have is a wise heart, not a foolish heart. So that means is we've got to be careful at what we love and what we want and what we long for and what we dream for and what we desire. We've got to be careful because our heart, we as people are wanters. We want things, and our wants cause us to do things. So we have to be careful what we want. We've got to be careful at what we love. Because what we love becomes who we are, and what we, what we love is what we ultimately do. So the writer's trying to say, watch your heart. That's why in Proverbs 4 it would say, guard your heart or keep your heart, for from it flows the wellspring of life. All of your life flows from your heart. So the question is, is your heart Wise or is your heart foolish? A wise heart wants the right things. That's how you judge it. Okay, how do I know I got a wise heart? Well, it's wanting the right things. It's wanting the things that Christ promotes, that that Christ speaks of. Well, how do I know if I got a foolish heart? It's wanting the wrong things. It's wanting the things that are against Christ. It's wanting to pursue sin and the curse. It loves this world, not the world to come. So what we have to see is examine our hearts. How we want and how we love affects how we behave. So we have to watch what we love. And we've got to set our mind and attention on the right things so that we love the right things and our heart pulls us in the right places. So we see that your heart influences your life. So watch out and keep an eye on your heart. Keep an eye on what you love and what you want. Make sure it aligns with the glory of Christ. Number six, you can't hide foolishness. You can't hide foolishness. It just shows up. Notice what he says. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. Like the foolish person, they make themselves known. They're like, hey, I just opened my mouth, and now you know, like, okay, you're, you're a fool. I can see that. We took our boys to their first UK football game at Ole Miss. And if you've been to a football game, it's a little different than basketball. Like, basketball's awesome. I love environments of basketball. But, like, basketball, you stand up and cheer, and then you kind of sit down. Football's totally different. You stand the whole time on your seat and just yell the whole game. Like, that's football, Right? And so here we are in a section. My kids are kind of seeing football and how it's a little bit different. And there was this one guy. He was obviously a dad who's visiting his son who goes to UK. And this dad thought, like, I'm going to be the cool guy. He's probably in his 50s. And being the cool guy means get belligerent at 11 a.m. and, like, be the coolest guy there, right? And so my kids are watching. They're like, Dad? What is this guy? I mean, he's high-fiving and falling and like, yeah. It's like, okay. Yeah, kids, he is a fool. Like, he made himself known. It's very obvious. At sports games, often we, we just kind of make it known like, hey, I'm a fool. Just watch me for a minute. I'm going to be foolish. But even in, in real life, in real situations, fools often present themselves. Like, it just shows up. Like, you know people are like, yeah, I know. She thinks she's hiding it, but she's not. He thinks he's good, but he's not. And so I think what we want to be is, um, wow, are we that guy? Are we that girl? 
Am I the one that when I shows up, I don't know it, but everybody knows like you're, you're a fool because of what you're loving, what you're going after, how you're living, what you're saying. What we want is for when we walk on the street and we open our mouths for people to see wisdom, not foolishness. So we see that you can't hide foolishness. It is going to come out. So when it comes out, uh, repent of it and turn to wisdom. Number seven, wisdom stays calm under pressure. Notice what he says. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. This is a great rule of life. It's a great rule to think that, man, wisdom, it stays calm under pressure. And so if you have a ruler, let's just take that into like work space. Like if you have a boss that comes in, your superior, your manager, they come in, and they are just yelling mad, frustrated. You know what the best thing you can do in that moment is to stay calm. Just to stay calm. If you want to gain um, respect among your peers, if you want to gain uh, some leadership clout in uh, wherever space you're at, be calm when everybody else is in chaos. Because when chaos happens, panic happens, people are mad, they want to blame somebody, and no one's got an answer, if you, through wisdom, can just stay calm, like one of the best leadership principles is stay calm when everybody's freaking out. You know what will happen? People will look to you. They will gravitate to you because you're not panicked. You are preparing and planning on how do we get through this? How do we make it to the next thing? And if you can be a calming presence when everything is going nuts, what does it say? You're going to lay to rest a great offense. That anger, that malice, that yell, that, 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 that curse word, you're going to lay it to rest. Because through wisdom, you're going to be calm when everyone else is screaming. And all of a sudden, wisdom is going to win out. So be that person who's calm when everyone else is panicked. Number eight, folly often gets promoted. Now Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he's often frustrated with life. Because life doesn't work how it should. If you're good, you should get good. If you're bad, you should get bad. Life doesn't work like that. Often those who are bad get good, and those who are good get bad, and it doesn't always work the way it should. And the reason is because this is life under the sun. This is life to the east of the garden. This is not how God made the world. This is how we have corrupted the world through sin. So a lot of times the world doesn't work how we want it to work, and that is a frustration to Solomon. He's going to be frustrated at this idea that folly often gets promoted because wisdom should get promoted, not folly. But notice what he says, verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. So rulers often make errors. How they make errors, they promote the wrong people. Verse 6, folly is set in many high places, and the rich set in low places. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So what happens in leadership is often... That fools get promoted and, and the rich, when he's using that word rich, if you think about like to, to the people that he's writing to, if you're rich, you've been like following um, the grain of, of the world, like God has created it and you're prospering, you're making good decisions, you have a good reputation. So this idea of like rich, it can also be seen as like the righteous. So r- the righteous, the wise are in a low place and the fools are running the world. And he says, man, I'm frustrated. Like, like, why is that? Why are, there, why are there fools in charge and those who are wise and have some common sense? Like, they don't have any control over anything. And, and then this frustrated with him and, 
It's just the reality, like, foolishness often gets promoted. That leaders get in a place and they promote their buddy rather than who should get the role. And at work, you're, you, you've, you've seen this happen that perhaps you thought you should have got it and she got it. And you're like, how did that happen? Well, it, it wasn't the right decision, but, but what do you do in that moment? Like, he's just kind of venting a little bit, but that really happens in life. Like, we've all seen that. Like, we all have people who are over us. We have leaders. We're like, how, how are they there? And we're, we're like, man, like so many other people could lead this better. We, we all feel that. We all see that. And he says, that's just the world we live in. Because we're in the already not yet. Like already the kingdom of Christ is here, but it's not yet. The, the kingdom of this world is still here. And foolishness often gets promoted over wisdom. So what do you do? Well, I think you control what you can control. Like, that's the only thing you can do in those moments. Control what you can control. Instead of, like, uh, protesting and firing back and being mad at your boss, just control what you control. Put your head down. Be wise. Do what you can. And then all of a sudden, wisdom has a tendency to winning the day. Because if a fool is in a place they shouldn't be and they're making really poor and bad decisions, it is going to be found out and somehow they're probably going to fall and you and those who are wise can be there to clean up the mess and make things work better and go forward. So yeah, it is true. Fools often get promoted. So control what you can control. Number nine, fools ignore danger. Wisdom uses caution. So he's going to just give some real practical, like, hey, you've got work to do. You've got things around the house. You've got a job to do. And there's labor. There's work. But you should do it with caution rather than just, like, going for it and not thinking through it. Okay? So let's just read what he says. Verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stone is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. So he's saying, hey, when it comes to like just work, like if you're digging a pit, like be careful. Because the pit you dig, you could fall into. Like if you're running a chainsaw, if you're in a quarry, like just be careful because what you're working with could actually kill you. But fools don't think about that. They're just like full speed ahead, running, who cares? Like, I grew up on a farm, and my granddad, Pop, he was not much on safety. He was on getting things done. Like, like Christian's here. He's over in the corner. He can probably testify. Uh, both of us are happy we have all of our fingers and toes, right? Because uh, there's no sense of, like, OSHA or, like, we should do this in a safe way. It's just let's do this as fast as we can and hope for the best, and it was like, you should survival of the fittest is what we had on the farm. Hopefully you're going to make it work. But then we would have like, like McKeel would come out. Uh, they would send guys to like work on our tractors with us. And we would start working on something. And they're like, um, we should turn the tractor off before we climb under it. And I'm like, why would you do that? My granddad never did that. They're like, um, well, you should because you could die. It's like, oh, I guess that makes sense. Like, I remember when I was out, like, we were working on the combine, and I just climb under the header, and they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. There's safety latches. I'm like, there's what? Yeah, these things, safety latches. Pull them. Now it's locked, and it can't fall. I'm like, good idea. Hey, Pop, did you know there's, it's all right. <laughs> like, that was kind of, so, like, I'm very thankful in this moment that, like, I have all of my fingers, all of my toes, and we're trying now to do a little bit better job of, like, when my boys come along, like, hey, okay, we're going to do, like, we're going to work hard, but we're going to live tomorrow. 
Like living tomorrow is also a good thing. It's not just let's get as most done as we can. Let's try to survive and like have all of our fingers to eat with. Like that's a good thing. And so it's just, I mean, a fool just ignores this. Like let's just, let's go and do without, but a wise person exercises a little bit of caution. Like, like, the, like the fool just breaks through this wall, not thinking about, oh, there's probably vipers on the other side because in the ancient culture, there were the vipers who lived in walls. And if you just bully through it without thinking, you're going to get bit and you're going to be in trouble. So break the wall, but make a plan to deal with the snakes that are going to come through. So wisdom, it, it doesn't ignore safety. It, do, it, it thinks through a project and takes the proper caution so that you live the next day. So fools just ignore danger and wisdom uses caution. And I at this point, you're thinking like, man, I'm at church. Like, what does that have to do with anything? I'm talking about Jesus. Like, what are we doing here? And, and typically, we kind of think about like Christianity, like today is about your 10-minute quiet time in the morning and hopefully getting to heaven. That's what today's about. So, if it doesn't have to do with my 10-minute quiet time or heaven, why are we talking about chainsaws? What are we doing? Like, is this church? And what you see is when you read the Bible, you have like the whole Testament where you have Leviticus that's like a bunch of laws. And you know what all the laws were about? Not about your 10-minute quiet time. It was about every single area of your life. What you wore, how you worked, how you walked, how you slept. Every area of your life was governed by the word of God. And why was that? Not because he's micromanaged, because he wants you to flourish as a human being. And so what we see in these moments, like, why are we talking about this? Because God really cares about not just your 10-minute quiet time and then go look, I'll see you in heaven. He cares about every moment of your life, everything that you do. When you're chainsawing a tree, God cares about that, and he wants you to do it with wisdom. Like he cares about every moment, everything, every area of your life God cares about, and he wants you to walk in wisdom, rightly applying his word and his ways to your everyday life because you're his child and he loves you. So at 11 o'clock tomorrow, God cares about that space. Whatever you're doing at 11 o'clock tomorrow, laundry, work, kids, nap, whatever it is, God cares about that, and he wants you to walk in wisdom for your good and for his glory. So yeah, we're dealing about some things that don't seem like quiet time issues because God's not a quiet time God. He's a all day, 24 seven God who cares about all of your life because guess what? He cares about you. He does. He cares about you. So be wise. Verse, or uh, 10th rule is this, wisdom sharpens the ax. I love this principle. Verse 10, if the iron is blunt and the one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one succeed. I mean, it's just a real simple principle. Hey, if, if the ax that you're cutting trees down with is dull, you've got to use more strength. You've got to swing harder, and every time you hit it, it's getting more dull, and you've got to swing harder and swing harder. So you've got a guy who's out there just gritting as hard as he can, just trying to cut down a tree, and wisdom says, hold on. What if we stopped for a moment, and what if we sharpened the blade? Well, that's going to take time off. We've got to cut this tree down. Okay. What if we stopped, and what if we sharpened the axe for a minute? But then we're not. Just hold on. What if we sharpened it? Now here you go. Whack. Oh, 
it cuts. Yeah, that's wisdom. See, foolishness, it's like whatever you have to do, you do it with all your might, you bull, you're full speed ahead, it's wide open, it's go, 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 chop, 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 and you never think about, what if, how could I work smarter, not what? Harder. I'm pretty sure that's where we got this from, right? Work smarter, not harder. Like, stop and sharpen the axe so that you don't have to just keep hitting as hard as you can, but you're working with the tool in the correct way. So he's trying to get us to see, like, hey, you need to stop for moments in your life and ask, how could I do this better? How could I, how could I take some time? And, and, and maybe for you, you're not a logman. You're not going to go out and, like, cut down trees this week. So like, I don't even have an ax. Well, you can think about the ax in a lot of different ways. The axe is like those tools and those skills that you have. Maybe, maybe for you, how could you like take a pause from just go, go, go and stop and get better at something? How could you increase your skills at something? How could you think of a better system that could then work for you so that you're gaining time back to, well, do those things that matter most to you? Like, how could you take a moment and actually get better, sharpen your skills, use wisdom in your work and in your life and in your home so that you're working smarter, not harder, and you have space to do the things that matter most to you? Again, God cares about you. He actually has a command to say, hey, stop and sharpen the axe. This is not about my quiet time. No, but it's about a lot of your time. If you get a little bit of that back, then then you're going to feel this idea of, man, part of us being human is to do the task that God has for us. He wants us to do them well in wisdom, not in foolishness. So take time to sharpen the axe. Number 11, wisdom is patient. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. It's kind of the same principle. Wisdom is patient. Wisdom takes time. Wisdom waits. So if you're a snake charmer, I don't know if you have any snake charmers in here. I've never done this before, but I can just imagine that you want to wait till it's charmed. Because if not, like you're like, hey, I'm going to grab you. Oh, you bit me. Now I'm dead. Like that like, doesn't work good, right? You want, to, you want to be patient. You want to make sure it's good and ready. And now it's charmed. And now I can do my thing. And I'm safe. And we're going to make a little bit of money off this. Just real practically, like you need to have a little bit of patience. And we as I don't know how the Israelites were, but we as Americans, we're like the most unpatient people on the planet, right? It's like, can I just microwave that? Because like 30 seconds, like how many of you stood this week in front of a microwave and thought, a minute is so long, (sighs) 30 seconds, like, come on, a minute, I've got to go. How long does a hot pocket take? Like we're, we're impatient over a microwave minute. It's like, you know how long that would have we're, un, we're, we're impatient. We don't want to wait for anything. And there's wisdom in, you want to be patient. And I mean, think about, man, we can bring this into all sorts of areas of life, but man, I mean, even like think about marriage. Like some of us, we just want to fix things really quick and go and like, let's get it. And sometimes you need a little bit of patience. You go too fast, like a snake, you're going to get bit. Some of us have been there. We've had that conversation. We've had that fight. And it's like, if I would have just been a little bit of patience, and would, have, and would have just listened a little bit more and spoke a little less. And, and wisdom has patience. Because wisdom knows that you can't just bull your way through and make it all work. you got to be patient because patience has fruit from it. Number 12, words either help or hurt. 
The words of a wise man's mouth win in favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, through, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell what will be after. So it's just the principle of your words. They're going to either help or they're going to hurt. Like, like your words, the, the words of a wise man or a wise woman, they are they're bringing honor. They're bringing life. But the words of a fool... They're going to they're gonna gobble you up. Like they're, they're bringing death. Like they're coming for you. The Bible would have so much to say about your words. Think about James. James would say your words, your tongue, it's like a rudder of a ship. It's like a bridle in a horse's mouth. It's like a little spark that can cause a forest fire. So be careful with your words because they give life or they give death. And fools don't even know the future, but they're telling everybody what's about to happen. They're just speaking abundance of words, but they're bringing death upon themselves. So this week, watch your words. 13, work without wisdom is weary. The tool of a fool wearies him. He does not know the way to the city. So just very simply, if you're a fool, your work is going to always be weary. It's always go, go, go. It's never fruitful. It's never accomplishing because you're not applying wisdom to your work. If you would apply wisdom to your work, you're going to have fruit rather than weariness. 14, foolish leaders hurt those they lead. Verse 16, woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. So, so leaders have an impact on those they lead. And, and what you want is good leaders. And what you want to be is a good leader. So if, if you're in leadership, if you have people that, that you're over, like manager, boss, whoever, you have leadership, you have people under you, how do you lead? Because leadership matters. Like if you have leaders or if you're a leader who's just about yourself, they're feasting in the morning, they're getting drunk, it's just a party. He says, no, what you want is leaders who are feasting for strength, not drunkenness. They're feasting so that they can be um, strengthened to serve you. Like, good leaders serve those they lead. Bad leaders only serve themselves. And they use their leadership to get more and to be seen more. And it's all about them. So if you're a leader, which one are you? Are you a leader who leads for your sake or are you a leader that leads for their sake? Are you a leader that leads for the people under you? Are you serving them and you're for them or are you just about yourself because what we see is foolish leaders hurt those they lead but wise leaders man they help those they lead 15 laziness ruins the house verse 18 through sloth the roof the roof sinks in and through indolence which is laziness the house leaks just like a really easy principle um if you're lazy if you're slothful you probably have a leaky roof like the toilet is overflowing and you're like, I don't know what's wrong with this thing. It just keeps overflowing and I'm going to put a bucket here because there's a leaky roof. And hey, what, is there anything else on Netflix? Like, could you hand me like a bonbon? Like, that sounds good. Get a Coke. Uh, what about the, that's ah, all right. Like, like laziness, it, it's going to cause ruin to all the good things in your life. And, and we see is God created rest. He wants you to rest, but he doesn't want you to be lazy. There's a difference. He wants you to work and rest, and those are in tandem. Work six, rest one. That's in God's good creation. Laziness says life is about leisure. 
And that's what all of life is about, sitting around, watching Netflix. That's the good life. Well, if that's the good life, then you're going to have rain on your head because Netflix can't fix your roof. So don't be lazy. Like, pay attention. Fix things. And I think even your physical house, like, literally your roof could be leaking. But metaphorically, what about the house of your life? Are there leaks that you're not taking care of, that you're not watching over, that you're not fixing because you're just idle, you're setting back, you don't want to do the work to make things better. See, laziness ruins the house. 16, money helps. Bread is made of laughter, the wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. So he's dealt with money. The pursuit of money can't satisfy. If you have all the money in the world, it can't satisfy you. But now he's given the concession to say, hey, money does help. Like, if you had to pick, like, do you want no money or some money? Like, I'll take some money. Like, it helps because you can buy those good things that God has given for you to enjoy. So money, it does, money is not an evil. Money is not a bad thing. Sometimes in church, we give money like this bad rap, like, never pursue money, never want money. All money is bad. He says, no, money actually is, is a good thing. Money has, has answers, like, it can help you in life, but it's a good helper to bad God. I think is what he'd say, kind of zooming out on the whole story of Ecclesiastes. And last, the 17th rule of life is this. Watch what you say. Here's what he says, verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice, or some winged creature will tell the matter. Even in your thoughts, don't curse the king. Man, that might cut a few of us. Even in your thoughts, don't dishonor those who the Bible says to honor. Much less in our words. Well, it's just in my house. Like, I'm just ranting about our leaders. and my, It's just my kids. Well, they're watching, and they're listening, and they're affected. Well, it's just my boss. You don't know. Well, people are listening. And it's just amazing how some of those secrets you spread about that coworker, that person, that family member. I just told her, how did everybody know? Well, Solomon's saying, it's like these little birds kind of come in and carry things around. Like, we actually created a bird, right, called Twitter. It's like, hey, we're going to help this. Solomon's like, it's already going on. You don't really need help, but if you want to create an account, do it. That's cool, too. But be, be careful of, of how you use your mouth as a vent. Because your mouth exposes your heart. And when you vent about those who should be honored, which is every person who's made in the image of God should have honor, not dishonor. And when we vent about people and, and, and what they do and who they are, and, and not just like what they do or policies, but the person, and all of a sudden little birds might carry that around and it might come back to bite you. So be careful at that coworker, that boss, that person that you think, you know, I just need to vent a little bit. Well, venting can come back around. And what we should do is honor those who deserve honor. And that's every image bearer of God which is every person on the planet. We can disagree, but we want to honor. So be careful about your words. Watch what you say because they have a way of coming back to you. So in 40 seconds, what does this all have to do with Jesus? What does this all have to do with Jesus? Well, I just want you to be reminded that in foolishness, our first parents died seeking wisdom outside of God. That's how our first parents died. They, they wanted wisdom apart from God. But we, through the cross, we come back under the wisdom of Christ and we live. 
That's all we see um, what Jesus has to do with this in Colossians chapter 2. God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That, that in Christ we have all the wisdom and treasures of knowledge. That if you want wisdom, if you want to be wise, we have 17 rules for life. You can't do those apart from Christ. That outside of Christ, you'll be like our first parents who wanted your own wisdom, your own knowledge, and your own ways, and they died. What we need to is come through not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We need to come through the tree of the cross. And by way of the tree of the cross, we can come under the lordship of Christ and his wisdom rule over us so that we pursue right things. And we apply rightly his word and his ways to our life. Because here's the truth. God doesn't just care about your 10-minute devotion. He cares about it, but he also cares about every minute past that. He cares about your whole life. And you know what he wants? He wants you to walk in wisdom this week. How do you get wisdom? It's in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not seeking it outside of him. It's seeking it in him. And in him, you walk in his wisdom. What is wisdom? It's rightly applying the word of God and the ways of God to everyday life. So you have an opportunity this week. You can either be a fool or you can be wise. Solomon would say, be wise for your good, but also for the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your wisdom that is found in Christ. Let us be those people that choose wisdom. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You're listening to audio from Hardin Baptist Church. For more audio content or other information about our church, please visit hardinbaptist.org.